Hey, this last Sunday, Tammy and I, we went to another church for a child dedication for some good friends of us. And here's a picture of their daughter. Isn't that cute? It's sweet baby Ella. And so at this dedications, and this is what Kevin was talking about, we're going to have dedications here on Easter for uh, all the children that as parents, you want to have them dedicated. But one of the things that stood out in that service was the fact that their parents read a passage from the Bible that they wanted sweet little Ella to hear and to remember as she grew up. And the prayer was from Ephesians 3, which is just really a beautiful prayer that the Apostle Paul gave. And now it's a prayer of Ella's parents asking God to dwell in the heart of this sweet little girl as she grows and as her faith develops, and that God would help her grow her mind and her heart so that she can recognize how much God fully loves her, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep the love of Jesus really is. It's a beautiful prayer. People memorize this prayer, and some people from Spark even get tattoos of this prayer. Look around. Today, we're continuing in our 1 John series, and while we've covered a lot of ground over the last 10 weeks or so, it should be clear by now that John is focused on love. He's focused on the same thing that is described in this prayer in Ephesians, and uh, it's all about God's love. It's his main point, and today's passage is going to continue with this theme that God loves us, he loves Ella, and he loves you. And because of that, we can trust him completely in all parts of our lives. And maybe even especially when things are dark and uncertain and scary. And this passage for our sermon today comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 to 19. And so I'm going to go through and I'm going to read it to you. Uh, but it will also be on the screen uh, behind me. And I'm living from the Living Bible Translation. And here's what it says. We know how much God loves us. Because we have felt his love and because we believe him when he tells us that he loves us dearly. God is love and anyone who lives in love is living with God and God is living in him. And as we live with Christ, our love grows more perfect and complete. So we will not be ashamed and embarrassed at the day of judgment, but can face him with confidence and joy because he loves us and we love him too. We need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do to us. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we're not fully convinced that he really loves us. So you see, our love for him comes as a result of him loving us first. I recently read a story about two guys who showed up in heaven. The first one was a New York City cab driver. And St. Peter said to him, here's a gold staff and a silk robe. Come on in. And the next guy, he was a pastor. And Peter looked at him and said, oh, it's you. Here's a wood staff and a cotton robe. You come on in. And the pastor was a little startled. And he said, hey, what's up? The cab driver got a better deal. And Peter said, up here, we work by results. When you preached, people slept. When he drove the cab, people prayed. I'm glad you left. Today's sermon is on God's love and fear. And I was very fearful that was not going to go across. Here's the point. Do you ever feel like your life is a New York City cab ride just filled with all kinds of fears? And that's a good question because I think all of us have to deal with fear in one way or another. 
Whether it's fear right now about the political divide in America, the growing level of gun violence and terrorism around the world, fear about the security of our jobs and our ability to live here in the Bay Area, which is so expensive, or to be able to save enough money for retirement, fear about our health or the health of someone that we love, fear regarding our marriage, fear of failure, fear for our kids, and for some, fear of our kids. We all face fear. And just to clear something up right away, fear isn't a sin. It's a normal human emotion. It is. It's built in. But it's what we do with it that matters. Some fear can even be useful because it helps us to avoid dangerous things. When I was young, there was this daredevil named Evil Knievel. Any Evil Knievel fans? A few. A few of us, the older ones of us here. Evil Knievel loved to make crazy jumps on his motorcycle. And he wanted to jump the Grand Canyon. He really did, but they wouldn't let him. So he tried to jump the Snake River Canyon. He jumped in Las Vegas. And he even jumped here locally at the old Cow Palace, if you remember that place. He once jumped over 40 feet over parked cars and a box of rattlesnakes and continued on past a mountain lion tethered at the other end. Clearly, evil Knievel was a showman. In this jump, it was a great jump until his motorcycle came down on the box of rattlesnakes, sending people scrambling everywhere. That guy could have used a little bit more fear. It probably would have helped him out a lot. Some fear can help us avoid dangerous things, but the vast majority of fears that you and I deal with on a daily basis are not helpful. They're destructive for a couple of reasons. For one thing, fear paralyzes. It can keep us from taking risks in our business or in life that can pay off. It can keep us from entering into relationships from fear of getting hurt. It can keep us from doing the things that God is maybe asking us to do, but we're afraid to do it. You see, fear paralyzes. And here's the other thing that fear does. Fear lies. It almost always lies. Fear is an acronym for false evidence appearing real. So, for instance, I know a man who's very fearful about what other people think of him. And I remember one time someone said to him, and this is true, hey, nice presentation. And he actually got mad. He said, well, my presentation was certainly better than yours. That was his fear lying to him, saying, you've just been insulted. This guy doesn't think you're good at anything that you're doing in your job. That's his fear lying to him. Have you ever said something to someone and had them lash out at you? Take it the wrong way, and you didn't mean it that way. That's their fear lying to them. I know a woman who's so terrified that she's going to get fired, that if her boss makes even the slightest critique of her work, she is sure that the, the, uh, this is evidence of her impending termination, even though he has no intention of firing her. That's her fear lying to her. You see, fear, false evidence appearing real. Fear paralyzes. Fear lies. It makes us anxious and worried. It eats us up inside. And here's the point. Fear ruins our lives. It really does. So how do we get rid of it? What can we do? Well, I'm no expert in this area, but there are certainly things we could try to reduce fear. 
And this includes facing your fear if you can to see if the situation is as bad as you really think. And sometimes it's not. We just overreact and you can manage your fears and work through it. You might also try to consider to to learn more about your fear or anxiety by keeping a record in your notebook of when it happens and what happens to you physically and emotionally. You might also want to consider exercise. This certainly helps me. Or learning relaxation uh, techniques like deep breathing or yoga or meditation. And you may want to consider talking with a trained therapist. This is always a good idea. But as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus, I believe there's another way to help reduce your fears. And it's not pumping yourself up with a bunch of courage on your own. No, it's understanding and experiencing God's love for you. Our scripture today says, we need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. What the scripture is getting at is that at the base of all of our fears, Way down at the bottom of every single fear we have is the biggest of all lies. It's the lie that the evil one has been telling us since the Garden of Eden. And that is, you don't measure up. You aren't good. You aren't worthy. And because of that, you can't trust God. God is mad at you and out to punish you. And so we fear God. We don't trust God because we don't think he's got our back. That he won't be there for us when we need him. And this concept of trust, this is huge. And it is vital to having positive interpersonal relationships with friends and with God. So how do people decide whether they're going to trust someone or not? Well, drawing on a definition that comes from a study by McKnight and Shervani from the University of Minnesota, Go Golden Gophers. From this study, we can think about the key components of trust as consisting of four different things. Benevolence, integrity, competence, and predictability. Benevolence in this case essentially means, is this person a kind person? But more, is this a person that will assume the best things about you, the most generous things about you, and has your best interest in mind? Integrity, it means, is this person an ethical person? Is this a person that chooses what's right over fun and what's easy? that chooses courage over comfort, that lives out values, not just what they profess. Competence. Competence means does this person have the ability to do what needs to be done? And finally, predictability. It means does this person behave in a way that you can consistently predict, that you can rely on? Does this person live up to their commitments, that they will do what they say every time over And over again. And according to these scholars, these four characteristics or dimensions are what people use in judging whether someone is trustworthy or not. Benevolence, integrity, competence, and predictability. Is this true of your friends? Do you have people in your life where you feel safe? Where they know you and don't define you by something that you did in the past that you're ashamed of? where you can fall apart in front of them and they don't judge you? Do you have people in your life where you can share something really personal and know that what you shared will be kept in absolute confidence? I hope you do. These are important people. These are people that you can trust, and we all need people like this. But here's the thing, and I learned this from Brene Brown. 
Trust is built up over time. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens in the small moments. It is in these small moments where there's an opportunity to build trust with someone or to betray them. To show a friend that you are trustworthy, that you have their back or not. So let me ask this. How does God stack up on these characteristics? Is God benevolent? Is he kind and generous in how he thinks about people, how he thinks about you? If you see God as closely watching you and then keeping score on your behavior as he listens to your inner thoughts and then judges you on everything you do, well, truth be told, if that is what you believe, the answer is no. Does God have integrity? If you believe that God is evil, that he causes suffering and lacks compassion and love and mercy, the answer is no. Is God able? Is he competent? If you believe that God is a distant God, a far-off God, a callous God that has no concern for you, the answer is no. And last, is God predictable? If you worship a God that you feel always changes his mind, where you're never sure where you stand with God, never sure if you truly measure up, which causes you to worry if you are good enough, the answer is no. Friends, I would be afraid of a God like this. And candidly, I couldn't trust a God like this. And my bet is that you couldn't either. But here's the good news. This is not the God that I know. This is not the God that I see in Jesus, the God I know that so many of you in this room know and experience and read about in the Bible. This God is entirely good and loving and trustworthy and out for our good. Pastor Danielle described God's love in her sermon three weeks ago, and here's what she said. God's love is sacrificial, other-focused, intimate, unconditional, incomprehensible, powerful, and world-changing. A God who doesn't see what most of us see about ourselves. He doesn't see it in you, as in he doesn't obsess over the things that we obsess over. He doesn't agree with the way most of us look at ourselves. He doesn't agree with the way most of us look at each other. No, he sees worthiness in Christ. He sees daughter and son, and we see failure and imperfection, and we obsess over the flaws. And he sees bride, and he sees worthy, and he sees child, a God who loves us relentlessly, as in he will continue to love us. His love will not stop ever. It's not fickle. It's always there, predictable and reliable. And this sounds similar to what the author of our passage was saying about the love of God that we can know and rely on God's love. No matter what we are going through, no matter what our fears may be. And get this, just like with our friends, trust is built up over time with God. One step at a time, one experience at a time. It starts with just listening and learning about God. And this can happen as you read your Bible, as you read books, as you learn at church or hear Others tell their stories and experiences about God. And then maybe it's another step, another opportunity where you include God and trust God in one area of your life. And as your confidence grows, as your trust in God expands and you learn and experience God's goodness, you get to the point where you trust God with more and more of your life. 
Think about one of your fears right now. Maybe it's an upcoming test. Maybe you're overwhelmed with debt. Maybe it's a health problem. Or maybe at the bottom of the fear, way down at the bottom, is the fear that you are alone, that God will not be there to be with you, to comfort you, to help you get through your fear. Or maybe your fear is that God's going to judge you and that you're going to be punished for what you have done or for what you have not done. So you look to the future with fear and apprehension. This is what John was trying to address in our scripture passage today. These people were worried that on the day of judgment, they would not be found worthy. And so they were afraid. And John is saying that if you spend time with Jesus and get to know him, you will understand that you do not need to be afraid of the one who loves you. Now, it is right to have reverence for God. And the Bible talks about a healthy fear of God that is akin to reverence. But there's another kind of fear, a cringing, cowering kind of fear, and that isn't healthy, and that's just not right. But get this, God's perfect love drives out that kind of fear. My daughter and son-in-law, and son-in-law they have a little dog named Clemmy. Clemmy was a rescue dog. They got Clemmy in Seattle. But it was clear right away that Clemmy had a rough start because every time we approached her, she would cower and cringe like we were going to hit her. But we don't hit dogs. We love Clemmy. She always comes into our house and she gets treats and we rub her and we scratch her. And she regularly sleeps on our couch in the TV room. But when I approach her or Tammy gets near her, she still cringes and she still cowers. And in that sense, our love for Clemmy has not been completed or perfected. She is still afraid because she still doesn't trust us. God wants us to know that in this world... We are like Jesus. And I take that to mean that in our standing before God, we are like him. We don't always act like him as we should, but God sees us in him. We are sons and daughters of God through him. Jesus called him father and so may we. And here's the point. We should have the same confidence before God that Jesus had because we are in him. And love is completed in us when we no longer fear God because we know him and can fully trust him. Brendan Manning defines what it really means to fear God. But for him, this fear is a good fear. He describes it as silent wonder, radical amazement, and affectionate awe of the infinite goodness and love of God. So how can we reduce our fear? By experiencing God's love for us in a way that is undeniable. And I know that sounds kind of strange. How can love conquer fear? We think that what's going to conquer fear is something that will make us powerful, like control or money or authority or weapons. We think of love as this soft, gentle thing that really can't do too much. But that's not God's love. God's love created a trillion stars that burned with the intensity of millions of atomic bombs per second. That's a lot of power. And his love conquers fear. If you just think about it, even physically, fear and love cannot coexist in your body at the same time. They're contradictory emotions. Fear generates all kinds of anxiety and worry and all that. Love kind of makes you feel secure and confident. You see, love conquers fear. At Stanford, 
Some biologists did an experiment where they put a loud machine with lots of blinking lights inside a cage to frighten baby monkeys. And yes, this seems a little intense, but apparently that's how they learn at Stanford. And these monkeys, and these monkeys, they would run to their mothers. And once they were with her, with her they'd start to lash out and threaten the machine. You see, their, love, their mother's love made them brave. God says that we can call him father. And when we experience his intense love for us, it drives our fears away. Now, I want to be clear. God's love and God's presence doesn't mean that we will live a trouble-free life. We will have problems. You can count on it. Family members will get sick. Friends will die. Terrible accidents will happen. And the Warriors may not win this year's championship. You know this. But as followers of Jesus, we don't have to do this alone. God will be with us, and that is comforting. So how do we experience his love in a way that will help to drive our fears away? Let me give you three things you could try this week. First, recognize through Scripture that God loves you and wants to be with you. That's not what I say. That's what he says. And he makes that promise dozens of times all over the Bible. And people turn to these passages when they are hurting, when they are in a crisis, when they're in a hospital bed, when they are in jail, when they are afraid. And so here's three three of my favorite passages that give me comfort. And maybe they will do this for you too. Maybe they already do. Let's start with Joshua 1.9. This is a very popular verse. Here's what it says. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Underline, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The book of Joshua begins with the death of Moses, the man used by God to lead the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity and into the promised land. But as you probably know, at this point, they weren't there. They hadn't made it to the promised land. And now Moses is dead, and a new leader must emerge, and that new leader is Joshua. So for the first chapter of the book of Joshua, it's the Lord's charge to Israel's new leader, Joshua, to be strong and courageous. And God actually tells him this three times in nine verses. Sounds like Joshua needs some encouragement. And such a charge is not surprising, really, given the daunting risk of leading these people out of the promised land, Remember, they've just wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of disobedience. So taking leadership of such a group would be scary, right? And now Joshua, he must take up that mantle and he needs courage. And God tells him that he will be with him. Now, I want to be careful with this verse. I do. Because this verse certainly, uh, this verse is certainly directed to Joshua about helping him, getting him and the people of Israel to the promised land not us. But this verse is still applicable to us today, recognizing that because of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, Christ is present with us today. His spirit is with us. And because of that, we can respond to difficult situations like Joshua with courage instead of fear. Second verse is in Psalm uh, 23. And here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This passage is taken from the most familiar psalm, Psalm 23, and perhaps the most familiar passage in the entire Bible. The problem with this passage is that it is almost exclusively used and associated with a funeral service, right? But it applies to our daily living too. In the ancient world, kings were known as shepherds of their people. Thus, to profess, the Lord is my shepherd, is to declare one's loyalty to God and intention to live under God's reign. And it was the responsibility of kings to provide and to protect their people, though they didn't always do this. And so we learn in this passage, as we read it, we learn that God, as our shepherd, provides rest as we lay in green pastures. And as he leads us beside quiet waters, he gives us new strength. And when we experience darkness or deep darkness, and when we go through those periods, and we will, where we feel threatened and feel afraid, it is in these times that we can feel comfort and safe knowing that God is with us. And lastly, in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 4, here's what it says. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God. An incredible passage. It really is. And we learn in this passage that God created Israel and made it special to him. And summoned Israel and called it by name and protected Israel in times of trouble. And the truth is, God created you and formed you and called you by name. And when you go through rivers of difficulty or periods of fire and pain, Scripture tells us that God will be with you. Yes, you may lose your job because of a corporate layoff or a bad boss. Of course, you might not either. And in the meantime, the worry you do now is just rent you are paying on a problem you may never have. But even if you do, even if you lose your job, God promises to be with you. Maybe you'll feel his presence in a way you never have before. Maybe you'll see your friends step up in a way you didn't know how much they loved you. Maybe he'll use it to help guide you to another job. And even if the worst thing happens, God says, even if you fall, I will be with you. I will catch you. The second way to experience God's love in a way that drives out fear is to take steps, even small steps with God to build your trust in him. And I recognize that this takes courage and trust. But the truth is, we don't know that his promise is real, that he wants to be with us until we actually act on it. It's that way all throughout scripture. David doesn't know for sure if God will be with him when he fights the giant Goliath until David tries it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't know if God will protect them until they step into that fiery furnace. Here's the thing. When we experience fear, we need to take a step to include God in whatever we're going through. And that mean, might mean saying something like, 
I don't know if I'm going to be laid off or not, laid off or not. But in the meantime, I'm going to trust God and be the best employee I can and refuse to live in fear. Yes, I may get into a relationship and it may be difficult for me. Something may go wrong, but I'm not going to avoid them out of fear because God says that he'll be there. Yes, I will step up and do something that God asked me to do, even if it may be hard. When I was younger, okay, much younger, and helped out in high school ministry, every year we'd take a bunch of students rock climbing. And at the beginning, the guides would always give us a little talk to reassure us of what was going to happen. And they'd talk about how thick the ropes were. And they'd point out the, acre, the anchors on the hill and how they had preset them into the rocks that not even a nuclear blast could dislodge. All this stuff, all the backups they had. But there always came that moment when you had to repel. For those of you who don't know what repelling is, it's when you jump off a cliff, you jump off backwards, off of the cliff, and you kind of bounce off the side all the way to the bottom. And when you're ready to jump, you clip yourself in and you give the signal by saying, on belay. And I'm not exactly sure the meaning of this word belay, but I think it's a French word meaning I've lost my mind. And I remember the first time I repelled. It was kind of scary. And then I jumped and I discovered that the ropes held and it was fun, really fun. And I loved it. Now, I could have heard that safety lecture a thousand times, but the only way I was going to know that the ropes would hold was if I did what? Jump. The more I jumped, the more I realized that the ropes were true and that I could trust them and the more fun I had. So this week, take a step with God and see that over take a step with God and see that over time as you take more steps that it is true that God is there for you and that you can trust him. But one of the most powerful ways to experience God's love in a way that helps to drive out fear is to connect to him directly in prayer. I believe that experiencing God's love is ultimately the thing that soothes and comforts us, that helps us with fear. It really is. And it is experiencing directly is the only thing that's going to drive our fears away. I know that for many of us, this is difficult. We try to pray and nothing seems to happen. Our minds wander. God seems silent. I understand that. There have been long stretches in my spiritual journey where God seemed completely silent and I I didn't experience his presence at all. But I would encourage you to keep asking over and over, God, help me to experience your love in a way that I don't just know in my head, but that I feel in my heart. I find it very helpful to picture Jesus sitting next to me when times are tough. I sometimes picture myself handing my problems to Jesus and saying, what do you want to do with them, Lord? They're yours. And as I've done this day in and day out for years, I've gradually begun to hear God's voice more and more and recognize it. And I begin to feel his love more and more. Sometimes even physically, I get goosebumps and I can feel it spreading. And as it does, it literally pushes fear and worry And sadness away. You see, God's love for you burns with the intensity of a thousand suns. And when you experience that, fear cannot withstand the heat of his love for you. It has no chance in the presence of God's love. 
My Father in heaven, who holds the universe in his hands, loves me. I am my Father's daughter. I am my Father's son. So what do I have to fear? 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Think about that. He did that for me and for you because he loves us. And if he did that, what do we have to fear? So what are your fears these days? Don't deny them. Don't try to fire up a bunch of courage on your own. Instead, recognize that God loves you. He really does. And then take a step with God by including him in your life and building your trust in him as you see his love and that it says love and presence are real. And ask God to overwhelm you with his love for you. Ask over and over and keep on asking because his love gives us comfort and peace and drives our fear away. The Father's love for you is strong. It is not weak, which means you have nothing to fear, not even fear itself. Because the love that drives the universe, the love that blew back the Red Sea, the love that healed the leper, that love that made the blind man see and the lame man walk, the love that cracked open the grave and conquered death, all of that love is for you. He's got the whole world in his hands, and that includes you, and that includes sweet baby Ella. And as long as you're leaning on his everlasting arms, you have nothing to fear. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was portrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So to the Spark family, may this simple yet profound message of God's love radically upend all of your anxiety, all of your fear and worry. May God's love meet you in the deepest place of your soul. And may you live out of a benevolent certainty that you are held close in his arms. In his name, amen.